Don't ever let anybody else tell you who you are. You know, uh, so many people in this world are sitting back and, and waiting for the, the voice of God or something to tell them what they want to do with their life. And you have uh, a life force inside of you that's telling you what you want to do every single day. It, it, it's simply called excitement, you know? Find out what gets you excited and go for it and do it. Now, if it's your passion, if it's your joy, maybe you won't make money at it right away, so you got to do something to pay the bills. But y y if you're... If you're passionate about something, I'm sure that passion turns into a type of intelligence to figure out how to make money at it. But don't don't let anybody tell you what who you are. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keys. Well, today's show we have an awesome guest that actually was on his podcast not that long ago, Dave Farrow. Now, Dave actually holds two. Guinness World Records, and I'll let you listen to the show to figure out what that was with. He's a very successful entrepreneur that has sold millions of dollars worth of his product and services, and he's actually been the media more than 2,000 times, including being on the Oz show. But one of the things that we talk about in the show is just how important it is to live your purpose, in that you would you know, find what you're passionate in and just go for it. And so it's closer to the end of the show when we get into that discussion. But we really cover some very, very sort of important techniques, which is around neuroscience and the importance of taking care of your brain and why that is foundational to success in life. So let me just kind of back up. And my encouragement is, is if you haven't uh, taken or completed or bought the book, The Quest for Purpose, is that you would go to the questforpurpose.ca and that's my latest book where I really take you through a roadmap and how to discover you know who you are series of questions yes we reference some of our assessments so that you can get clear do the work you know don't as Dave says in the show don't wait for anybody else you take charge of your own life and then go for it because every single person that's listening to this podcast you matter what you do, what no matter what it is, is a contribution. And if you're doing it with heart and soul and with your purpose and with your meaning and with your passion, there's nothing better that could happen for you is to contribute at the highest level. So thank you again for listening to The Secrets of Success. If you like what we're doing, and obviously if you're listening to this, you have a certain amount of interest, is we sure appreciate it if you could leave a positive comment on whatever platform you're listening to, subscribe and or share uh, on whatever platform that you're on. So thank you again for listening to Secrets of Success. And here's our guest today, Dave Farrow. Well, I had the privilege of being on this gentleman's podcast himself, actually a video podcast. He actually holds two Guinness records. I'm not going to tell you what it is. You're going to have to listen to the show to figure that out. And he's an awesome individual, and we're just privileged to have Dave Farrow on the show. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me on. This has been uh, fantastic. I, I, I love the format. <laughs> well, Dave, as we do with our SOS uh, audience or process is that we want to get to know you a little bit better. We'll come into your expertise here in a moment. I'm going to captivate the audience to say, what does this guy have a Guinness World Record in? Don't tell them yet. We'll give them, we'll force them to listen for 15 minutes. How's that sound? No, no, we're going to have such <laughs> valuable 
interaction that they'll want to hang out and be here and spend their most valuable commodity time with us. So Dave, tell us a little bit about your journey. I mean, you are an expert in marketing and PR and, and really helping people develop a presence out there. And then you have some other sort of background pieces, the tips that you've left me here. But Dave, where were you born and where did you grow up? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, as you know, I didn't start off as an expert in marketing, but I was really fascinated with, uh, with being an entrepreneur. And it, it ended up being the tool to save me from uh, an existence that I did, I did not think was going to be desirable. So I'll start off with that, with that ominous start. Um, okay. I was born in uh, Kitchener-Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. Um, wow. If anybody knows where that is, it's a small, smaller town outside of Toronto. It's actually a pretty big size, but compared to Toronto, it's quite small. Um, so Dave, Dave, sorry, as a fellow Canadian, I know where it is, so you could feel okay. better. You know, as a person in Vancouver, you're okay. Uh, All right, guys, well, he's okay. We know, we know what that's about now, eh? Yeah, exactly. All right. exactly. <laughs> so, so yes, yeah, make a long story short, my big, uh, my big business idea started with, uh, with a challenge. I, uh, going into grade nine, I was diagnosed ADHD and dyslexic when I was a kid. And this was at a time where they really didn't throw a lot of resources at that. If anything, it was the opposite. It was kind of like resources were pulled away. Uh, teachers basically said, uh, I had one teacher who said, why are you trying so hard? You know, you're not going to be able to accomplish these things. You just have to accept your fate. Like I literally, a 14 year old kid was told that it's, it's absolutely wow. mind boggling to me now, but in those days it was just, it was just this assumption. So I just uh, want to stop you for a second. How did those two conditions, by the way, you're speaking to a fellow dyslexic, uh, how did those conditions sort of affect you emotionally and from a performance point of view in, in high school then? What were some of the ramifications of that situation? Well, I got to say, I do think the dyslexics of the world need to untie. I mean, unite. I always reverse that. Anyways, that's uh, a bad joke. But anyways, <laughs> um, the, ramifications, the ramifications really were, were self-esteem. I, I joke about it now because, you know, laughter, laughter is a healing balm uh, in life. But um, I, I, I essentially saw, you know, my life going down in one direction where I accepted this diagnosis as, as, uh, as sacrosanct and didn't want to do anything about it. And I just, I just saw that I would be, I'd actually be stuck in a lot of ways that I think my dad was very frustrated with. He, he worked in a factory. He, um, he was a brilliant, brilliant man, but never really saw the credentials match his genius. Like he actually uh, was a machinist and he worked on the, on the Canada arm, the, the, the wow. thing that's in space. Uh, and he, he actually helped uh, machine that. And the reason was not because he had any credentials, but because he had the skill greater than anybody else in the shop over at Chicken Manufacturing Aerospace over in Kitchener-Waterloo at the time. So, so he had, he had merit mm. and not credentials. And I felt like I had, uh, I had a tremendous ability and it wasn't really being re reflected. I, I basically just saw it as I, I didn't test well. So I, I went on a quest to discover everything I could about how the brain and memory worked. And that actually led to, led to my Guinness records. If I, if you don't mind me letting the cat out of the bag now. Well, where you go, where you go. All right. Sir. Um, so yeah, so I, I hold, uh, uh, Basically, I broke a, a Guinness record twice. I'm a two-time Guinness record holder for memory. I memorized the exact order of the latest one, the exact order of 59 decks of cards all shuffled together. Uh, that's 3,068 cards in order. And you might think to yourself, how does a learning disabled kid do that? And you do it by understanding how the brain works. I, I went on a quest to discover everything I could, everything from uh, neurology. It wasn't even called neuroscience back then. I'm not that old, but it's it, Mm -hmm. It has gone through a lot of changes lately. Um, and uh, 
then uh, uh, um, all the way to understanding, like I was talking about brain plasticity when the scientific community still was on the uh, hardwired brain idea. And there is a series of mnemonics that are taught by mentalists, uh, magicians who do mental mm -hmm. tricks uh, around the world. And I latched onto that and mastered those. And then I started to create new techniques. I, I developed a way for ADD kids to focus better using a timer and just kind of interval training rather than using drugs. It's, it's pretty revolutionary. I came up with it in the early 90s. And now a lot of doctors have, have talked about using uh, tiny short intervals to help people with ADD. In fact, I, many of those doctors bought my courses. And that leads me to the second part, which is, uh, you know, you can be in the Guinness Book of Records and everything. And I thought the, that the sky was going to open up and money was going to fall out. But you know what, you have to actually build a business and, and, and have a product and all that. So I developed a, a memory course, uh, started off in CDs, then DVDs, and then eventually online. If I'm going to be sorry for the younger people, CDs is actually how we used to pass on yeah. digital product. <laughs> You know, if if I'm if I actually going to be really really uh, show my age, this was in the '90s, but we still started with cassettes. We we still cassettes were very very dominant. Uh, so we had a whole a cassette program and a CD program available, um, and uh, so I went through that transition. But uh, basically, it it was a huge commercial success. I sold about 10 million dollars worth of these memory programs worldwide, uh, with the help of some infomercials, but also with the help of a lot of publicity. I've been on Dr. Oz twice. Uh, um, Every every media you can think of, Regis and Kelly, the, the Today Show, Discovery Channel, Science Channel, um, CBC Documentary, things like that. And I, I'm not the only guy who, even memory guy, who's gotten publicity. A lot of it's a very cool thing. So a lot of memory guys do get publicity. But I seem to be one of the only people who's been able to make a, a real commercial success from it. Um, there were other infomercial successes before me, but there there wasn't a lot of uh, traction around when I got on the stage, uh, but uh, we've had, we've had, I've been on like you know, some shopping channels and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's turned, it's turned into something that's really impacted a lot of people. Uh, well, congratulations I, on that, Dave. And, and I want to scroll back before I lose the thought. And here's why I think sometimes, you know, guests have just so much that they miss some gems that the audience really could benefit from as a health coach and a person who has a diploma in genetics, and uh, nutrition. I want to go back, and also somebody with dyslexia. I want to go back to the this thing. I learned some things about the brain. I mean, you said okay, you said that, and then off you went. Okay, uh, that's a hard stop now. So, mm. what did you learn, Dave, about the brain? And by the way, I think I shared on your show when I was on it that my grade nine English teacher said I would not amount to anything because I couldn't read or write easily. Yeah. I could certainly speak as you and I do on our podcast. But I, as far as writing and writing out the word and spelling it correctly, are you kidding? That was just not something that was possible. And now I'm author of 4 million words. So just as you overcame it in this whole area of making a memory, and by the way, it's 59 decks of cards in order. I, just even the thought, I can't fathom. But let's go back to this area of, okay, I learned some things about the brain. And so there's more of that research coming out, mm -hmm. uh, epigenetics, plasticity, all these things that words that I'm familiar with that, you know, people didn't really talk about before. What did you learn, Dave, about the brain that really led before you got into this world record Guinness situation? Sure, sure. Well, uh, one of the first things is, is that um, focus, I believe focus is probably the most important uh, academic skill uh, beyond even memory, logic, uh, critical thinking. 
your ability to pay attention at will is probably your greatest asset. And as a result, people with ADD really suffer um, academically. The irony is in the real world, focus is not as important. You know, you can zone out during a meeting and then you can say, hey, I'm sorry, I missed that. What'd you say? And it's not a big deal. But if you zone out during a lecture in academia and you miss a key point that you're tested on later, you know, you, you, you've lost a lot. So uh, that, that's a real irony is that is that the skills that are needed. A lot of times there's actually data on this that you know, people with ADD, uh, they succeed more in life. They make more money uh, than if, if you call that success, but they make more money than people without ADD on average uh, if you balance out for everything else, you know, the same amount of academic credentials, et cetera. What so, do you think the reason for that is then? Uh, I, I believe it's it's that ADD people are better able at handling risk. Uh, there's a lot of data on this that they can handle crises without getting upset because we crave more stimulation. When the world starts to panic, we calm down. That's a pretty powerful tool to have if you're a manager, if you're an executive, if you're an entrepreneur. It's not so great if you're a low-level grunt or something, right? Because you know, so so I think the ADD people tend to rise through the ranks. Beyond and, and, and a lot of them incredibly low self-esteem. Like I've talked to so many people who are executives, high-level C-suite executives who have ADD, and they don't think they deserve to be there. And yet mm. everybody else talks about them as they're, they're incredibly competent and they know what they're doing. And, and when the S hits the fan, so to speak, they're the ones who are calm and know the right answer when everyone else is panicking. That's, that's really what, what it's all about in the real world. Um, mm. yeah, we don't have these sorts of crises in academia. The closest thing you could say would be test-taking, but that's a completely different beast. Uh, I struggled with test-taking a lot uh, because... Um, I would find that I would blank out during a test because a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of stress would cause my memory just to, just to blank. Just uh, and yeah. And there is actually things you can do. So I'll give you one tip that I, I've given before. It's um, uh, take a moment and just look up. So if you're blanking out on something, take a moment and literally put your eyes to the ceiling, look up for a few seconds, maybe like count like three breaths and look up thinking about what you're trying to remember. And you're going to double your chances of remembering that information. And the reason is behind your eyeballs is a large bundle of nerves called the optic nerve and where you direct your eyeballs to actually helps you with your memory. Um, it directs energy in the brain. So uh, the interesting thing is this is natural. If you ask anybody, you know, for directions, things like that, they naturally look up instantly and they don't even think about it, right? But when you're in an exam, what are you told not to do is, is you know, keep your eyes on your paper, keep your eyes down, right? So this is really one of the reasons why a lot of students, they they do poorly in the exam. They walk out the door. They start looking around, thinking about the exam. Usually their eyes are rolled up to the top of their head. And then the answer pops into their head like, oh, why didn't I say that? Why didn't I say that? It's because you weren't treating your brain the natural way mm. it wants to be treated. So that's just one example. Um, there what is you a learn about the, the brain, Dave, as far as before you got into this memory, little tips. So we think about focus. Is there something about that focus that you learned that said, I can... You can teach people to focus better yeah. by doing this in, in, in addition to, you know, putting my eyes up. Well, for me, as, as, a, as a kid with ADD, uh, focus was a struggle. The interesting thing, though, is people with ADD, and, and this is true for everybody, but the ADD is the extreme version. So everything I'm saying is true for everybody. I'm not just talking to ADD people right now. Um, but essentially, there's times where you can get distracted and lose focus. ADD people, it's just worse. There's also the times where you can be hyper-focused, where you're so focused on something, you're, you're blocking out every other distraction. Let's say, you know, an ADD kid playing a video game. Once something fully stimulates your brain, you're engaged. And the interesting thing is ADD people are actually better at hyper-focus than the average person. The average person is much mm -hmm. more distractible uh, when they're hyper-focused. 
Well, actually, so, Dave, just, just as a sidebar, because I have marginal, if I, yep. once in a while I use a game on my phone as a distraction for me. My wife says, you just played that for 20 minutes without like engaging anything. How do you do that? So, interesting. Yep. Yeah, well, and, and, and the parents are annoyed by this to no end because they'll say, hey, Billy, 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 you know, and they won't, yeah. they won't even register because of hyper-focus. But you know what? Instead of yelling at Billy, why don't you try to use that hyper-focus for schoolwork? So I developed a method to uh, essentially take studying and turn it into short chunks of effort. So we're talking uh, five to eight-minute bursts of intense focus on a task like studying or memorizing or something and then you take a short break just to clear the brain and it turns into kind of a game so I gamified uh, studying mm-hmm. and the results were incredible uh, double triple the recall uh, students that were failing started passing uh, and it's all in my course it's all you know very well known we actually did a double-blind neuroscience study to prove it and and came back with flying colors so the other thing I would also say when it comes to the memory techniques is that uh, you can memorize things without repetition you just have to trigger the right part of the brain. So, um, sorry, I'm listening can, to this. I can. You can. You know, I don't have to have repetition. You know. Uh, well, see, think I of things. Just... Think of things that you've you've memorized without repetition. I bet you, like, if you were involved in a car accident, you remember the details, right? Now, some details might might you might lose because you weren't you were so hyper focused on some things you can lose other things. Like, I was involved in a, in a car accident one time, and I completely could not. Uh, picture the uh, police officer's face when when he was later on I couldn't recognize him they're like oh the memory guy can't you know can't see this is because I was so focused on the circumstances of the accident Mm -hmm. I was not even looking at the officer the entire time so like things like that do happen but at the end of the day you could probably remember that incident the where the when the how the color of the vehicle things like that for years Dave I, I couldn't so I did the car accident two or three times over so I could remember it better yeah, exactly. Just, well, I'm yeah, but it's, I'm sorry, you know, you I'm just messing with you. Well, that's true, though, but it's true. Like, it's absurd to think that you need a tow truck or a truck to pull the cars apart and crash them into each other a hundred times before you remember the details. It's, the reason is there's a survival mechanism in the brain that helps you remember some things forever if you get it into the brain in the right way, and that is the basis of mnemonics. There's a whole art and science behind how to trick the brain into activating that survival mechanism. It involves visualizing things, kind of making silly pictures, being creative. But at the end of the day, there's that mechanism, and that's, that's what the, the art of the system really, really relies on. Mm. Now, I'm going to ask you a question in a moment about why memory is even important for us in, in life and business. But before that, I have a personal question. We lost my uh, stepfather-in-law to dementia um, oh, no. 18 months ago. Now, he was 87, he lived a full life, but mm-hmm. the last year was this person was not home anymore. You mentioned in some of your bio that memory can help to alleviate that, or does it? Yes, there's actually there's a lot of evidence to show that you can slow the effects of Alzheimer's and dementia with uh, brain training. Um, but even the word brain training is a bit misleading. Some of the best things you can do uh, certainly are to train your brain. That's absolutely true. But if you find the training boring or a chore or really, really painful, then I would suggest you're not going to continue with it, right? So it's really, it's the brain training that you keep doing that helps. So the people who have been able to, you know, get symptoms, you know, get symptomatic and then put their symptoms on hold are people who are, you know, let's say uh, studying a musical instrument that they love. They're going back to school and learning something. They're, um, you know, studying the Bible and going going to a 
to a, a Bible study or something that they're, that they're really passionate about, right? Um, so th- that is that is one thing. To be honest, one of the biggest things that uh, th- that most of the research has been very very conclusive on when talking about uh, slowing down the progress of the disease is social interactions. You want to interact with as many people as possible. When people start forgetting what they do, is they seclude themselves, and it actually then the disease progresses very very quickly, which you may have seen. Uh, that the desire of, you know, the embarrassment of, forget, of, of being afraid to make a mistake uh, causes you to seclude yourself. But the fact is, the most intellectually challenging task human beings can partake in is social interaction. It is the most difficult thing to teach robots. Think of it that way. Uh, not just keeping track of names, but watching people's uh, body language and holding a conversation and, you know, being likable and things like that. All these different things are incredibly challenging to the brain. It's actually one of the best things. So I would suggest, you know, go, go out with them, be, be social, get a social circle. Uh, but actually, there's actually, even since we talked and it, since that bio was written, there's been some even more exciting news in the world of uh, Alzheimer's. Um, and some people are referring to it, to it as type 3 diabetes. Uh, now, this is, still, this is still something that's debated, but it's getting less and less debated and more accepted. Let me put it that way. Like the, 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 um, the probability wave is collapsing to a, to, to a point basically. Uh, so what I mean is that, uh, sugar, uh, goes into the body, right? The number one thing that people don't realize that sugar does is not just builds fat, but it feeds bacteria. Bacteria love sugar. And there's all sorts of microbes that are good for you and ones that are bad for you, but they go crazy on sugar. And sometimes it might not be like, it doesn't have to be that you're eating candy all the time. It could be that you're, you eat a lot of bread or bread products that turn into sugar in the bloodstream, things like that. Um, so the idea is that the sugar feeds a certain type of bacteria, uh, different types that, uh, that keep on growing. And then the immune system tries to get rid of it. Well, we know now there's a biome in your brain. There's certain different microbes that have to exist in your brain in certain levels, but if there's too many of them, then the immune system tries to get rid of them. What, do, what happens if your immune system can't get rid of it is use what's called a beta amylase, uh, a, a, a beta amylase uh, protein, and, and it's basically a, a, a molecule that helps clean out some of these, some of these, uh, um, these, uh, these areas. The problem is it's been referred to, this is just, I'm just referring to what the scientists are saying. It's been kind of like, uh, it's like trying to, it's like trying to hunt with napalm, <laughs> you know, like you, you end up blowing up a lot of the forest in the process and it looks like the beta amylase uh, compound actually uh, damages the brain while it tries to eradicate this. So it's, so it's, it, it does a cascade effect, you know, the, so it's essentially the brain's reacting to something that exists and it exists because there's too much sugar, but there could also be other parts of your diet and things like that. So um, well, I, I couldn't agree more. I don't know if you know or not, but we do health coaching. And yeah, so, yeah. No, you know, you're you're an expert. We probably know even more than I do. Insulin, in well, uh, you're you're the expert on the brain. But when we think about insulin resistance mm-hmm. and that type three diabetes, there's all kinds of papers uh, heading towards that direction. So you know that's important when we think about life. And now let's kind of scroll b- scroll back. And congratulations on all your success with the Thank courses you. and the memory courses. But let's just go and say, okay, I'm listening to Dave and Ken talk right now. Why should I bother with this idea of 
brain and like memory? How does that help me in life? What, I mean, it's probably common sense and obvious to me, but what would you say to people that are listening about why I should take care of my brain, why I should look at this, and what are some things to do about it? Well, see, the interesting thing is people um, people think the greatest thing that you do with your brain is just is 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 to uh, you know learn a task so that you can do something, and and essentially what I mean is they see having a better memory as oh now I now I have to do more stuff now I got to learn languages now I got to do if I have a better memory it's just one more thing on my to-do list. But in actuality, the reason why you want to have a better memory in today's society is to impress other people. If you can uh, teach yourself something without uh, needing a teacher to, to help you or hold your hand through it, you are the most valuable employee in an entire organization. If you're a self-starter, if you're a self-learner, if you have the ability to learn without, in, without uh, um, instruction, that is, you can teach yourself, like let's say a, a new software program. We were just talking about different uh, different video conferencing platforms just before mm-hmm. this. Well, yeah, in the next five years, there's probably going to be three or more of those. And you know, the faster you can come up to speed on new things, the more valuable you are to everyone. And also, when you're sharp, when you're on the ball, when you're able to remember and demonstrate that you know that you're knowledgeable off the top of your head, it's still the number one thing that other people are impressed with. And, and here's why you want people to be impressed with you, because you want them to, to pay you, to buy from you, to sell from you. You, know, you. you want them to interact with you, and people want to deal with somebody who, uh, who, who is intelligent. They want to deal with somebody who is, I, I wouldn't even use the word intelligent, I would say smart, you know, because it's not always just an academic type of intelligence. It's, it's like they want to know in any field. So uh, the reason why this is a big trend, and this is a new thing, is because of the internet. Right now, because of the internet, I can pretty much uh, get any information I want at any time, right? So right. why would I need you? Well, because you're the trusted source for that information. Let's say you sell uh, aluminum siding. Well, I can go online and find out everything about aluminum siding, but I don't know who to trust. If I talk to you and, and you're clearly competent and knowledgeable, then I can trust you and you get the sale. That is true in every single area we have we have so much information but the problem is we don't know who to trust so we're getting back in society we're getting back to a class of experts where we only we we have to know if somebody really is smart uh before we we buy or sell or interact with them and unfortunately academic expertise is one of those things that is getting less and less credible as time goes on people are are People are finding that uh, they need to demonstrate their expertise. In other words, uh, I'll give you a great example. You know, Google, when it hires programmers, it doesn't uh, look for um, uh, computer science degrees. It, it does a hackathon and puts algorithms up on the screen. And the, whoever can solve that in the next hour, you get to stay in the room. Everybody else leaves. And then, by the way, we put a tougher one on the screen right after, and the same rules apply. And they keep doing that till they whittle down who they want to actually offer a job to. So, so Brilliant. Now, I'm just going to stop you there in a firm where a lot of times, and we've talked about this before, I hate this word tenure, but this idea of credentials does not necessarily mean that you are smart. It just means you have some education, and that's a good point to everybody listening. And I think the the world is moving to can you demonstrate your expertise versus, yes, I have my doctorate degree. I did that for my own learning because I love learning. Mm -hmm. And I said, if I'm going to learn, I'm going to do it. Why wouldn't I get some designation as part of it? I didn't do it from an ego point of view. or It's nice, 
But mm. the other side is I know some people who are educators, professors. I wouldn't want to spend much time to them. They don't seem to be very smart. Well, I mean, they're smart. they're smart in their field, and I think that's true for everybody. You know, the uh, the, the professor probably doesn't know much about you know, marketing or entrepreneurship because that's not their field. But you know, you put them in their element, and they're geniuses. Uh, the key really is that you have to be able to demonstrate it to be able to um, to show people in the moment that you know what you're talking about. Because because we can all go on to Mr. Google then every human being we interact with has to prove themselves instantly. And we might resent that. We might not like it, but it's true. Uh, every human being has to, has to prove why uh, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're knowledgeable, you're expert at something. And it's partially because there's so much misinformation. What we got with the yeah. information revolution was we got all the information on the Internet, and then we got uh, two and three times that, but you know, the rest of it is all misinformation. You know? Yeah. So, Fair enough. So, uh, an expert, uh, an expert is sometimes, you know, and then there's, there's that old phrase, you can bring up an expert that says almost anything, not all the experts agree on almost everything, you know, so uh, you have to kind of demonstrate that knowledge. Now, so if you pass that little human touring test, if you will, that that test of expertise, then you can pretty much write your own ticket. Uh, and I'm, I'm living proof, like I've, I've run my own business for 26 years, I've, I've been successful in four different industries. But more than that, I've been offered jobs in, in other industries that are well beyond what my academic credentials are. I've, I've worked, um, I've worked as, a, as a nanotech designer for a pharmaceutical uh, company, I shouldn't say it's a medical device development uh, technology uh, company. I've, um, I've uh, been offered to be a manager of, of insurance uh, teams and insurance uh, sales teams, and I was going to be you know, the, the manager right out of the blue. Um, all sorts of things without an executive MBA in, 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 in business. And, and a lot of the key is because I've been able to demonstrate that I can learn faster than anybody and teach myself and, of course, you know, apply it to the real world. So that real world application, that's where memory comes in. That can you, can you get, uh, you know, can you get a, a document from a patent lawyer, you know, read through it quickly and then come up to speed and talk toe to toe with experts in a, in a conference room in two hours. Can you do that? If you can do that, your executive level, if you can't, maybe you're not, you know, cut out for that job. It, 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 you're constantly tested like that. And the higher you go up in this dom dominance hierarchy in our economy, the more you're going to be tested. So, and thank you for that. And by the way, I love your energy, Dave. So keep it up. <laughs> what would you What would you say to? I'm not uh, opinionated uh, at all. <laughs> well, I I've noticed that. So, it, as part of that, Dave, you know, think about not the average person, but an individual that's listening to this. So, well, you know what, Dave, that might be nice for you, but I just have poor memory, and I, I I've just been able unable to really think about or to memorize things. It's sort of been my history. What would you say to that person to encourage them? Oh, yeah. No, I don't think there's anybody who's come up to me who said, you know, I don't need a better memory. Everybody's like, I, I need one, but they don't believe they can get it. Um, That's the point. I, That's my yeah. question. Well, I, I would say that, that, you know, just try thinking about how you use your brain, you know. Um, it amazes me to this day, like there is a, there is a lot of cognitive science. Uh, beyond what even I teach, there's, there's a lot of cognitive science uh, in the academic literature, even in, in scientific literature, that is not applied to teaching. And it amazes me to this day that there are institutes of higher learning that don't teach learning. They, they, they give you information, but they don't teach you how your brain actually absorbs information. Unless you go into psychology or neuroscience, you don't actually learn how to learn. And 
there is a skill to learning. It's like there's a skill to, to everything. And I feel like everyone was given this amazing Ferrari of a brain. You know, like like mm. the, the, the brain is the most complex tool in the known universe. It's, it has, there's more connections in your brain than there are visible stars in the sky. Uh, it, it's absolutely incredible when you think about it and just you should be in mm-hmm. awe of everyone's brain. Um, but then uh, we don't know how to use it, you know? Um, we, we, we don't know how to activate it. We don't know how to uh, get past mental blocks and things like that. So, sure, I have a great system, but I, I, I don't want to be – I'm not the only one. There's, there's actually a lot of great literature, and I'll tell you that uh, Asia, um, the Pacific Rim especially, is, is taking advantage of this uh, knowledge much more than, I'd say, North America or, or Europe is, although there's some great things happening in Germany, I will say. Um, like I'm going to Thailand uh, next month um, and uh, we're there with the king and minister of education and everything. And they're talking about bringing accelerated learning techniques to Thailand. Uh, and this is just one of many. Like you talk, you look at the education system in China. It's fantastic. It's based on the latest science. And a lot of times in North America, at least, I found that um, they th- there tends to be a, uh, an, a, um, a system that, that reinforces itself, but doesn't really look to be disruptive. The, the system doesn't want to disrupt itself. So, mm-hmm. so it, it's slower to change. Uh, and and the there's a school board chair and my wife's a teacher. So we get that hundred percent. Yeah. Know, yeah. No, that's sort of protecting when, when, the status quo. Yeah. And when I talk like this, people think, Oh, you're, you're trashing teachers. No, I, I work with teachers, you know, mm-hmm. at least every month I'm speaking at a different college, different university. I say this, uh, this is not a secret. I'm not, Oh, hush, hush, here's the dirty little secret. No, the teachers are just as frustrated with this as well. And, and if, if we even just, just uh, uh, allowed teachers to innovate more and get rewarded for it, I would say, you know, if, 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 because there are a lot of teachers who are innovating and they're just doing these brilliant things with these kids and uh, they don't get a bonus in their check, whereas the other, stu- the other teacher down the, down the road uh, does you know, let's say the bare minimum or whatever does, you know, does, does what everybody else does, gets the same amount. I think we should really reward these innovative teachers. We should really, you know, also be looking to, to come up with a system that the teachers, like, I'll, I'll give you one quick example. My son, he's four years old um, and he's, uh, he's reading now. Uh, it actually wasn't really that hard to get him reading. In fact, we could have probably done it earlier, um, but he's in junior kindergarten. Uh, they don't even really uh, talk about what, uh, so essentially he's reading at a level that's near the end of grade one, possibly in grade two right now at junior kindergarten. And I got him there actually with a little mixture of, of helping him at home. And, and my wife also, she's a certified Ontario teacher as well and, and, and helped him at home. But also we put him into Kumon. Uh, that, based on my research, that was the most effective system. Uh, and we do, you know, 20 minutes of lessons uh, each day and he gets better and better and better as time goes on. And uh, there's other people in Kumon, not, not that I'm advertising for Kumon or anything, but there's other people there who, uh, who had to stop because their kids were, were, were too advanced and they were getting way too bored in class. So they were waiting for them to, you know, move up in a grade before they do more Kumon. Like there's, there's systems out mm-hmm. there. Kumon's not the only one. It's just a really good example. Cause, uh, cause the, the, some parts of the world have really embraced that to their benefit. There's systems out there that uh, accelerate learning mainly because your brain is always capable of this. 
it's mm. really just we're we're just not innovating. There have there has been a march of science towards understanding every single thing in the known world: the the the, the climate, the the geology, the science, the astrophysics, uh, biology, everything. And we have had a march of knowledge to understand how the brain uh, studies and learns and memorizes. Yet we haven't really uh, really applied that, you know, in everyday life. So I, I usually refer to this as applied neuroscience. Um, if anybody wants to find out more of this, we have uh, the website brainhackers.com that we post our, our videos to, and we have a lot of content on there on little tiny brain hacks that you can use to improve your life at any time. And I think it's something that your your listeners would really love. You also have a website for yourself too. What's that? Oh, well, well yeah, check out uh, ferrocommunications.com. That's our, our PR firm, and you can find out all about what, what I do and what we do uh, there. And uh, then, you know, check out brainhackers.com if you want to, you know, have some some uh, some techniques. Now, Dave, we only have about uh, four or five minutes left, if you can believe that, uh, how much time we've been on already, right? Uh, I know, double right? Double your show length, excuse me. So, uh, I'm I, such a lightweight. Way, I love your, uh, <laughs> your spirit as, and having some fun. Uh, listeners, we're just kibitzing with each other. Dave and I have a sense of humor. And uh, if you don't get it, that's okay. That's how we're uh, rolling here today. So with that, Dave, you know, if you were to wrap in some principles that really have contributed to your success beyond just memory, what are some of the character traits that you have deployed to be successful yourself in business? Oh, wow. Uh, well, obviously, as somebody who's in the Guinness Book of Records, the smartest thing I ever did was, was to go for that. Um, and uh, so I would suggest that whatever your goals are, you should aim higher. Uh, as high as possible. I did not know that I was even capable of that until I aimed for that task, and I've held the record for like 20 years, uh, you know, since then. Um, so aim higher, be much more ambitious. Um, also, you know, uh, be comfortable with risk. Risk is going to happen. Um, and business-wise, what I've been able to find uh, that has really helped me survive when I've seen other people uh, go bankrupt is um, I kept track of two numbers. I didn't always have the exact number, but I always had an idea of the numbers um, because sometimes it could, there's a fog of war that can happen in business that things get very chaotic sometimes, mm. and you just got to deal with that. You're not special. Everyone's, everyone's been there. Um, but uh, basically, the two numbers are long-term financial gain and uh, cash flow, current cash flow. So I have to make enough money to pay my payroll this month and and make sure the clients are happy so they don't leave and things like that. I've got to keep this machine functioning today. But if I also don't think of what's around the corner of a year or two down the road, then I'm going to not innovate enough and I'm going to be passed by. So if I only focus on what's down the road, then I'm going to lose my cash flow right now and I'm going to go out of business before I make that really cool thing or do that really cool mm. thing. So paying attention to cash flow and long-term gain, uh, those two things, keeping them topped up, and not letting them fall down too far uh, has been uh, the secret of, of keeping a business going. And if you can do that, then that actually brings everything else. Uh, the, the great thing about the free market, the great thing about a business is that uh, the fact that you have to make a buck keeps you disciplined, keeps you from doing something that the customer doesn't want you to do. Uh, it, it helps society. It helps everybody because if your focus is, I got to make some money. Well, then, you know, your focus is going to be every single day. How can I keep customers happy? How can I make them happy? How can I serve them? How can I, uh, uh, you know, improve that and also improve efficiencies and things like that? 
And and some people might think, you know, the cynical out there might think that, um, you know, then you're trying to say, well, how can I, you know, pay people the least and take advantage of them? And, and I just, I've been in business for a long time, and that's just not what goes on, uh, you know, behind the scenes. I mean, maybe at a at a Walmart or some big corporation, I can't tell tell you about that, but I can say that uh, the entrepreneur is just as worried about losing good talent too, you know, and, and trying to figure out how to pay their people more, how to give them more benefits and get them more excited about working there, uh, because that is also a competitive thing too. So uh, oh, keep that sure. in mind. And now um, I want to actually give all of your listeners a uh, special treat. Uh, if they go on to worldsgreatestmemory.com, it's worldsgreatestmemory.com. We actually have some specials on the memory course. We're doing a fire sale soon on our DVD program, but we also have the online course, which is a fully interactive online uh, program uh, in memory. And if anybody can't find it, I'm sure they can get a hold of you, and and you'll uh, you'll so direct world, them to us. We'll okay, so say that URL again, uh, just slightly slower. World world's what? greatest memory worldsgreatestmemory.com worldsgreatestmemory.com yeah awesome and that's super and then the other two sites that you talked about was brainhackers.com that's also your podcast so yep. you can learn about that and feralcommunications.com so you have a lot of things that are moving around thank you for the offer Dave for the for the SOS listeners worldsgreatestmemory.com so that they can get a hold of that and yes what's a DVD or CD player Yes. Isn't yeah. That amazing? Yeah. What are those that? things? Well, excuse well, me. We're gonna we're gonna be getting rid of some of them soon. But uh, you know, our courses we sold. I, I sold a, kind of a hundred thousand copies of these things. But um, now that we're going all digital, it's like a whole new world. But it's fantastic because I don't have to ship anything. It's actually like uh, this is the, the the part of business I always wish existed because can't tell you how many times I had to ship things across the border and and get tracking numbers and everything. And and now we live in a digital age. Like this is a, a renaissance for entrepreneurship. I think, I think a generation Z that's coming up or Z as we say in Canada um, is going to be more entrepreneurial than ever before in history, I think. And it's all because the, the, the barrier for entry has just dropped to nothing. Yeah. The online world has really created opportunities. I got in this industry, Dave, when I was speaking and training before email. Now I'm not that old. I'm not like 120 years of age. It was just in the nineties when I was commuting from the West Coast, from actually Vancouver to Detroit, every week yeah. for a year, because we didn't wow. have email to send all our course development with the with the decision makers, we had to be in the room with them. So, what? What? There was a was, there was a time before email just 25 years yeah. ago. Yes, it was. 19, 1995, 96 was the time where the internet really started to take off. But I would say, it really wasn't ubiquitous until the 2000s and uh you know then we're talking 2001 was the um was the world trade uh crisis you know the 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 the, the um yeah that so world trade world trade center uh um terrorist attack and then there's like the wars that happened after so it, it was a very tumultuous time when the internet was just becoming big it's it's absolutely fascinating uh that uh i would say it took I don't know, for a lot of people, it took till 2005 or something before most people were online. And then, you know, around then get getting past dial up. I mean, the modern Internet is maybe 10 years old, like what we would really consider this modern Internet where we get our entertainment and everything from it. It's it's very, very young. Well, for sure. And then, yeah, dial up. People don't know what that is. And I remember my computer had five megs of memory. 
and it was going to cost me five hundred dollars to take it to ten. I, mean, oh, I remember know. my first <laughs> CD. My first CD burner was four hundred dollars. I could burn CDs with it um, and, and make my own make my own programs. But I paid for that in my first uh, presentation. I did presentations and okay. sold my memory course. Usually made about two grand per presentation. So, but I burned the CDs myself and put the stickers on them myself. I, 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 yeah, I gotta love it. I gotta love it. Now, yeah. Dave, we have to go, but I want to give you an opportunity. What's a final piece of wisdom for the audience that you can encourage them as we depart? Well, I would have to say that. Uh, don't ever let anybody else tell you who you are. You know, uh, so many people in this world are sitting back and, and waiting for the, the voice of God or something to tell them what they want to do with their life. And you have uh, a life force inside of you that's telling you what you want to do every single day. It, it, it's simply called excitement. You know, find out what gets you excited and go for it and do it. Now, if it's your passion, if it's your joy, maybe you won't make money at it right away. So you got to do something to pay the bills. But y y if you're, if you're passionate about something, I'm sure that passion turns into a type of intelligence to figure out how to make money at it. But don't don't let anybody tell you what who you are. You know, uh, certainly we still need people who you know clean the toilets and collect the trash and like there's going to be undesirable jobs in general. But maybe we can also live in a society where even people who do quote unquote undesirable jobs, they're doing it for a desirable reason. They have a passion that they're doing it, and that's how they pay the bills. And I. I oodles of respect for them but anybody out there who thinks that they have to wait for a guidance counselor or a mate or a partner or somebody to tell them what they're good at or a teacher or something just just decide what you're good at and do it you know, my, my favorite quote uh, is is from Dolly Parton she says uh, find out who you are and do it on purpose hmm. yeah you know? of course that was the title of the show we I think we did with you uh, yep. And then, you know, our work around purpose, and I sure appreciate that, Dave. And you know what? Thank goodness you didn't listen to your grade school teacher to say, you know what? Dyslexia, you pretty well, that's it for you. It's an anchor around your neck for the rest mm -hmm. of your life. So you didn't do that. So thank you for that. And thank you for spending the most valuable commodity with us, Dave, your time. Thank you. Well, individuals, you've been listening to Dave Farrell. He has the podcast, uh, brainhackers.com. He also, farrellcommunications.com. And, of course, the gift, worldsgreatestmemory.com. Now, take what Dave has been talking about and act on it. You know, anybody listening to this, you can have a better memory. You just need to be intentional about that. Or go get his program or find out more about the little tips. The other one is, is I agree with Dave 100% around, you know, you, every single person listening to this have a calling, assignment, a purpose, a passion. You just need to do the work to figure out what that is, find out what that is, and then start moving forward one step at a time. Thank you, as always, for spending time with us. If you like what we're doing, please share, let other people know, leave a positive comment on whatever platform you are listening to. Thank you for listening to Secrets of Success with Dr. Ken Keyes. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.